All right, chapter 22, the prophecy comes true. We were the first heroes return, to return alive to Half-Blood Hill since Luke, so of course everybody treated us as if we'd won some reality TV contest. According to camp tradition, we wore laurel wreaths to a big feast prepared in our honor and led a procession down to the bonfire where we got to burn the burial shrouds our cabins had made for us in our absence. Annabeth's shroud was so beautiful, gray silk with embroidered owls. I told her it seemed a shame not to bury her in it. She punched me and told me to shut up. Being the son of Poseidon, I didn't have any cabin mates, so the Aries cabin had volunteered to make my shroud. They'd taken an old bedsheet and painted smiley face with an X out eyes around the border and the word loser painted really big in the middle. It was fun to burn. As Apollo's cabin led the sing-along and passed out s'mores, I was surrounded by my old Hermes cabin mates, Annabeth's friends from Athena and Grover's satire buddies, who were admiring the brand new searcher's license we'd received from the Council of Cloven Elders. The council had called Grover's performance on the quest brave to the point of indigestion. Horns and whiskers above anything we had seen in the past. The only ones not in a party mood were Clarice and her cabin mates, whose, po whose poisonous looks told us they'd never forgive me for disgracing their dad. That was okay with me. Even Dionysus's welcome home speech wasn't enough to damper my spirits. Yes, yes, so the little brat didn't get himself killed, and now he'll have an even bigger head. Well, huzzah for that. In other announcements, there will be no canoe races this Saturday. I moved back into cabin three, but it didn't feel so lonely anymore. I had my friends to train with during the day. At night, I lay awake and listened to the sea, knowing my father was out there. Maybe he wasn't quite sure about me yet. Maybe he hadn't even wanted me born, but he was watching. And so far, he's, he was proud of what I'd done. As for my mother, she had a chance at new life. Her letter arrived a week after I got back to camp. She told me Gabe had left mysteriously, disappeared off the face of the planet. In fact, she'd reported him missing to the police, but she had a funny feeling that they would never find him. On a completely unrelated subject, she sold her first life-size concrete sculpture entitled The Poker Player to a collector through an art gallery in Soho. She'd gotten so much money for it, she put a deposit down on a new apartment and made a payment on her first semester's tuition at NYU. The Soho Gallery was clamoring for more of her work, which they called a huge step forward in, suki, in super ugly neorealism. But don't worry, my mom wrote, I'm done with sculpture. I've disposed of the box of tools you left me. It's time for me to return to writing. At the bottom, she wrote, P.S. Percy, I found a good private school here in the city. I've put a deposit down to hold a spot in case you want to enroll in seventh grade. You can live at home, but if you want to go year-round at Half-Blood Hill, I will understand. I folded the note carefully and set it in my bedside table. Every night before I went to sleep, I read it again and tried to decide how to answer her. On the 4th of July, the whole camp gathered at the beach for a fireworks display by Cabin 9. Being Hephaestus' kids, they weren't going to settle for a few lame red, white, and blue explosions. They'd anchored a barge offshore and loaded it with rockets the size of Patriot missiles. According to Annabeth, who'd seen the show before, the blasts would be sequenced so tightly they'd look like frames of animation across the sky. 
The finale was supposed to be a couple hundred football field Spartan warriors who would cackle to life above the ocean, fight a battle, then explode into a million colors. As Annabeth and I were spreading a picnic blanket, Grover showed up to tell us goodbye. He was dressed in his usual jeans and t-shirt and sneakers, but in the last few weeks, he'd started to look older, almost high school age. His goatee had gotten thicker, he'd put on weight, his horns had grown at least an inch, and he now had to wear his Rasta cap all the time to pass his human. I'm off, he said. I just came to say, well, you know. I tried to feel happy for him. After all, it wasn't every day that a satire got permission to go look for the great god Pan, but it was hard saying goodbye. I'd only known Grover a year, yet he was my oldest friend. Annabeth gave him a hug. She told him to keep his fake feet on. I asked him where he was going to search first. Kind of a secret, he said, looking embarrassed. I wish you could come with me, guys, but humans and pan, we understand, Annabeth said. You got enough tin cans for the trip. Yep. And you remember to read, you remembered your reed pipes? Jeez, Annabeth, he grumbled. You're like an old mama goat. But he didn't really sound annoyed. He gripped his walking stick and slugged a backpack over his shoulder. He looked like any hitchhiker you might see from on an American highway. Nothing like a little runty boy I used to defend from bullies at Yancey Academy. He gave Annabeth another hug. He clapped me on the shoulder, then headed back through the dunes. Fireworks exploded to life overhead. Hercules killing the, the Neiman lion. Artemis chasing the boar. George Washington, who, by the way, was the son of Athena, crossing the Delaware. Hey, Grover, I called. He turned to the edge of the woods. Wherever you're going, I hope they make good enchiladas. Grover grinned, and then he was gone, the trees closing around him. We'll see you again, Annabeth said. I tried to believe it. The fact that no searcher had ever come back in 2,000 years, well, I decided not to think about that. Grover would be the first. He had to be. July passed. I spent my days devising new strategies for capturing the flag and making alliances with other cabins to keep the banner out of Ares' hands. I got to the top of the climbing wall for the first time without getting scorched by lava. From time to time, I'd walk past the big house, glance up at the attic windows, and think about the oracle. I tried to convince myself that its prophecy had come to completion. You shall go west and face the god who has turned. Been there, done that, even though the traitor god had turned out to be Ares rather than Hades. You shall find what was stolen and see its safe return. Check. One master bolt delivered, one helm of darkness on Hades' oily head. You shall be betrayed by the one who calls you a friend. That line still bothered me. Ares had pretended to be a friend, then betrayed me. That must have been what the oracle meant. And you shall fail to save what matters most in the end. I had failed to save my mom, but only because I'd let her save herself, and I knew that was the right thing. So why was I still uneasy? The last night of the summer session came all too quickly. The campers had one last meal together. We burned part of our dinner for the gods. At the bonfire, the senior counselors awarded the end of summer beads. I got my own leather necklace, and when I saw the bead for my first summer, I was glad the firelight covered my blushing. The design was pitch black with sea green with a sea green trident shimmering in the center. The choice was unanimous, Luke announced. This bead commemorates the first son of the sea god at this camp and the quest he undertook into the darkest part of the underworld to stop a war. 
The entire camp got to their feet and cheered. Even Ares' cabin felt obligated to stand. Athena's cabin steered Annabeth to the front so she could share in the applause. I'm not sure I'd ever felt happy or sad as I did that at that moment. I finally found a family, people who care about me and thought I'd done something right. And in that moment, most of them would be leaving for the year. The next morning, I found a form letter on my bedside table. I knew Dionysus must have filled it out because, the, because he stubbornly insisted on getting my name wrong. Dear Peter Johnson, If you intend to stay at Camp Half-Blood year-round, you must inform the big house by noon today. If you do not announce your intentions, we will assume you have vacated your cabin or died a horrible death. Cleaning, harp, cleaning harpies will begin work at sundown. They will be authorized to be any unregistered camper. All personal articles left behind will be incinerated in the lava pit. Have a nice day, Mr. D. Dionysus, Camp Director, Olympian Council Number 12. That's another thing about ADHD. Deadlines just aren't real to me until, I, until I'm staring one in the face. Summer was over, and I still hadn't answered my mother or the camp about whether I'd be staying. Now I only had a few hours left to decide. The decision should have been easy. I mean, nine months of hero training or nine months of sitting in a classroom? Duh. But there was my mom to consider. For the first time, I had the chance to live with her for a whole year without Gabe. I had the chance to be home and knock around the city in my free time. I remember what Annabeth said so long ago about her quest. The real world is where the monsters are. That's where you learn whether you're any good or not. I thought about the fate of Thalia, daughter of Zeus. I wondered how many monsters would attack me if I left Half-Blood Hill. If I stayed in one place for a whole school year without Chiron or my friends around me, would my mother and I even survive until next summer? That was assuming the spelling test and five-paragraph essays didn't kill me. I decided to go down to the arena and do some sword practice. Maybe that would clear my head. The campgrounds were mostly deserted, shimmering in the August heat. All the campers were in their cabins packing up or running around with brooms and mops, getting ready for final inspection. Argus was helping some of the Aphrodite children haul their Gucci suitcases and makeup kits over the hill where the camp's shuttle bus would be waiting to take them to the airport. Don't think about leaving yet, I told myself. Just train. I got to sword fight. I got to the sword fighting arena and found that Luke had just the same idea. His gym bag was plopped at the edge of the stage. He was working so low, wailing on battle dummies with a sword I'd never seen before. It must have been a regular steel black blade because he was slashing the dummies' heads right off, stabbing through their straw-stuffed guts. His orange counselor shirt was dripping with sweat. His expression was so intense, his life might have been in danger. I wasn't fascinated as he dis disemboweled the whole roll of dummies hacking off limbs and basically reducing them to a pile of straw and armor. They were only dummies, but I still couldn't help being in awe of Luke's skills. The guy was an incredible fighter. It made me wonder again how he possibly could, could have failed at his quest. Finally, he saw me and stopped mid-swing. Percy? Uh, sorry, I said, embarrassed. I just... It's okay, he said, lowering his sword. Just do some... Just doing some last-minute practice. Those dummies won't be bothering anybody anymore, Luke shrugged. We build new ones every summer. Now that his sword wasn't whirling around, I could see something odd about it. The blade was two different types of metal. One edge bronze, the other steel. 
Luke noticed me looking at it. Oh, this new toy, this backbiter, backbiter. Luke turned the blade into the light, and so it glinted wickedly. One side is celestial bronze, the other is tempered steel. Works on mortals and on immortals. I thought about what Chiron had told me when I started my quest. That a hero should never harm mortals unless absolutely necessary. I didn't know they make weapons like that. They probably can't, Luke agreed. It's one of a kind. He gave me a tiny smile, then slid the sword into its scabbard. Listen, I was going to come looking for you. What do you say we go into the woods one last time, looking for something to fight? I don't know why I hesitated. I should have felt relieved that Luke was being so friendly. Ever since I'd gotten back from the quest, he'd been acting a little distant. I was afraid he might resent me for all the attention I'd gotten. You think it's a good idea, I asked. I mean, ah, uh, come on, he rummaged in his gym bag and pulled out a six-pack of Cokes. Drink, drinks are on me. I stared at the Cokes, wondering where the heck he'd gotten them. There was no regular mortal sodas at the camp store. No way to smuggle them in unless you talked to a satire, maybe. Of course, the magic dinner goblets wouldn't fill with anything you'd want, but it just didn't taste the same as the real Coke, straight out of the can. Sugar and caffeine, my willpower crumbled. Sure, I decided, why not? We walked down to the woods and kicked around for some more... For some kind of monster to fight, but it was too hot. All the monsters with any sense must have been taking siestas in their nice cool caves. We found a shady spot at the creek where I'd broken Clarice's spear during my first capture of the flag. We sat on the big rock, drank our cokes, and watched the sunlight in the woods. After a while, Luke said, You miss being on a quest with monsters attacking me every three feet? Are you kidding? Luke raised an eyebrow. Yeah, I miss it, I admitted. You... A shadow passed over his face. I was used to hearing from the girls how good-looking Luke was, but at the moment, he looked weary and angry and not all that handsome. His blonde hair was gray in the sunlight. The scar on his face looked deeper than usual, and I could imagine him as an old man. I lived at Half Blood Hill year-round since I was 14, he told me. Ever since Talia, well, you know, I trained and trained and trained. I never got to be a normal teenager out there in the real world. Then... They threw me one quest, and when I came back, it was like, Okay, ride's over. Have a nice life. He crumpled his Coke can and threw it in the creek, which really shocked me. One of the first things you learn at Cat Half-Blood is don't litter. They'll hear it from the nymphs and the nads. They'll get even. They'll crawl into your bed one night and find your sheets filled with centipedes or mud. The heck with Laurel Reese, Luke said. I'm not going to end up one of those dusty trophies in the big house attic. You make it sound like you're leaving. Luke gave me a twisted smile. Oh, I'm leaving all right, Percy. I brought you down here to say goodbye. He snapped his fingers. A small fire burned a hole in the ground at my feet. Out crawled something glistening, black, the size of my hands. A scorpion. I started to go for my pen. I wouldn't, Luke cautioned. Pit scorpions can jump 15 feet. Its stinger could pierce right, right through your clothes. You'll be dead in 60 seconds. Luke, what? Then it hit me. You will be betrayed by one that calls you a friend. You, I said. He stood calmly and brushed off his jeans. The scorpion paid him no attention. It kept its beady black eyes on me, clamping its pinchers as it crawled onto my shoe. I saw a lot out there in the world, Percy Luke said. Didn't you feel it? The darkness gathering, the monsters growing stronger. Didn't you realize how useless it all is? All the heroics being pawns of the gods. 
They should have been overthrown thousands of years ago, but they've hung on, thanks to us half-bloods. I couldn't believe this was happening. Luke, you're talking about our parents, I said. He laughed. That's supposed to make me love them? Their precious Western civilization is a disease. Percy, it's killing the world. The only way to stop it is to burn it to the ground. Start over with something more honest. You're as crazy as Ares, his eyes flattered. Ares is a fool. He never realized the true master he was serving. If I, have time, if I had time, Percy, I could explain, but I'm afraid he won't live that long. The scorpion crawled onto my pant leg. There had to be a way out of this. I needed to think. Kronos, I had said. That's who you serve. The air got colder. You should be careful with names, Lukewarm. Kronos got you to steal the Master Bolt and the Helm. He spoke to you in your dreams. Luke's eyes twitched. He spoke to you too, Percy. You should have listened. He's brainwashing you, Luke. You're wrong. He showed me that my talents are being wasted. You know what my quest was two years ago, Percy? My father, Hermes, wanted me to steal a golden apple from the Garden of uh, Hephaestus and return it to Olympus. After all the training I'd done, that was the best he could think up? That's not an easy quest, I said. Hercules did it. Exactly, Luke said. Where's the glory in repeating what others have done? All the gods know how to do it is to replay their past. My heart wasn't in it. The dragon in the garden gave me this. He pointed angrily at the scar. And when I came back, all I got was a pity. I wanted to pull Olympus down stone by stone right then. But I bided my time. I began to dream of Kronos. He convinced me to steal something worthwhile, something no hero had ever had the courage to take. When we went to the winter solstice field trip, when the other campers were asleep, I snuck into the throne room and took Zeus's master bolt right from the chair. Hades helmed with darkness, too. You wouldn't believe how easy it was. The Olympians are so arrogant, they never dreamed somebody would dare to steal from them. Their security is horrible. I was halfway across New Jersey before I heard the storms rumbling, and I knew they'd discovered my theft. The scorpion was sitting on my knee now, staring at me with its glittering eyes. I tried to keep my voice level. So why didn't you bring the items to Kronos? Luke's smile wavered. I, I got overconfident. Zeus sent out his sons and daughters to find the stolen boat, Artemis, Apollo, and my father Hermes, but it was Ares who caught me. I could have beaten him, but I wasn't careful enough. He disarmed me, took the items of power, threatened to return them to Olympus, and burned me, burned me alive. Then Cronus's voice came to me and told me what to say. I put the idea to Ares' head about a great war between the gods. I said all he had to do was hide the items away for a while and watch the others fight. Ares got a wicked gleam in his eyes. I knew he was hooked. He let me go and I returned to Olympus before anyone noticed my absence. Luke drew his new sword. He ran his thumb down the flat blade as if he were hypnotized by its beauty. Afterwards, the Lord of the Titans, he, he punished me with nightmares. I swore, I swore not to fail again. Back at Camp Half-Blood in my dreams, I was told that a second hero would arrive. One who could be tricked into taking the bolt and the helm the rest of the way, from Ares down to Tartarus. You summoned the hellhound that night in the forest? We had to make Chiron think camp wasn't safe for you, so he would start you on your quest. 
We had to confirm his fears that Hades was after you, and it worked. The flying shoes were cursed, I said. They were supposed to drag me and the backpack into Tartarus. And they would have, if you'd been wearing them. But you gave them to the satire. What? Where's your pacifier? Check her crib, if it's not downstairs. Sorry, guys. I've been used, voice, Luke's voice turned shrill. Look at yourself. What has your dad ever done for you? Kronos will rise. You've only delayed his plans. He will cast the Olympians into Tartarus and drive humanity back to their caves, all except the strongest, the ones who serve him. Call off the bug, I said. You're, if you're so strong, fight me yourself. Luke smiled. Nice try, Percy, but I'm not Ares. You can't bait me. My lord is waiting, and he's got plenty of quests for me to undertake. Luke, goodbye, Percy. This is a new golden age coming. You won't be part of it. He slashed his sword in an arc and disappeared in the ripple of darkness. The scorpion lunged. I swatted it away with my hand and uncapped my sword. The thing jumped at me, and I cut it in half in midair. I was about to congratulate myself until I looked down at my hand. The palm was had a huge red welt, oozing and smoking with yellow gunk. The thing had gotten me after all. My ears pounded. My vision was foggy. The water, I thought, it healed me before. I stumbled into the creek and submerged my hand, but nothing seemed to happen. The poison was too strong. My vision was getting dark. I could barely stand up. Sixty seconds, Luke had told me. If I had to get back to camp. If I collapsed out here, my body would be dinner for a monster. Nobody would ever know what happened. My legs felt like lead. My forehead was burning. I stumbled towards the camp, and the nymphs stirred from their trees. Help, I croaked. Please. Two of them took my arms, pulling me along. I remembered making it to the clearing, a counselor shouting for help, a centaur blowing a conch horn. Then everything went black. I woke up with a drinking straw in my mouth. I was sipping something that tasted like liquid chocolate chip cookies. Nectar. I opened my eyes. I propped. I was propped up in bed in the sick room of the big house. My right hand bandaged like a club. Argus stood guard in the corner. Annabeth sat next to me, holding my nectar glass and dabbing a washcloth on my forehead. Here we are again, I said. You idiot, Annabeth said with a... Which is how I knew. She was overjoyed to see me conscious. You were green and turning gray when we found you. If it weren't for Chiron's healing... Now, now, Chiron said. Percy could... Constitution deserves some of the credit. He was sitting near the foot of my bed in human form, which was why I hadn't noticed him yet. His lower half was magically compacted into his wheelchair. His upper half closed in a coat and tie. He smiled, but his face looked weary and pale, the way it did when he'd been up all night grading Latin papers. How are you feeling? he asked. Like my insides had been frozen and microwaved, apt considering the pit scorpion venom, now, you must tell me, if you can, exactly what happened. Between sips of nectar, I told them the story. The room was quiet for a long time. I can't believe that Luke, Annabeth's voice flattered. Her expression turned angry and gray. Yes, yes, I can believe it. Made the gods curse him. He was ne never the same after his quest. This must be reported to Olympus, Chiron murmured. I will go at once. Luke is out there right now, I said. I have to go after him. Chiron shook his head. No, Percy, the gods won't even talk about Kronos, I snapped. Zeus declared the matter closed. 
Percy, I know this is hard, but you must not rush out for vengeance. You aren't ready. I didn't like it, but part of me suspected Chiron was right. One look at my hand and I knew I wasn't going to be sword fighting anytime soon. Chiron, your prophecy from the Oracle. It was about Kronos, wasn't it? Was I in it and Annabeth? Chiron glanced nervously at the ceiling. Percy, it isn't my place. You've been ordered not to talk about me, haven't you? His eyes were sympathetic, but sad. You will be a great hero, child. I will do my best to prepare you. But if I am right about your path ahead of you... Thunderbolts boomed and rattled the windows. All right, Chiron shouted. Fine. He sighed in frustration. The gods have their reasons, Percy. Knowing too much about your future is a never a good thing. We can't just sit back and do nothing, I said. We will not sit back, Chiron promised. But you must be careful. Kronos wants you to come unraveled. He wants your life disrupted, your thoughts clouded with fear and anger. Do not give him what he wants. Train patiently. Your time will come. Assuming I live that long, Chiron put his hand on his ankle. You never have to trust me, Percy. You will live. But first you must decide your path for the coming year. I cannot tell you the right choice. I got the feeling that he had a very definite opinion and it was taking all his willpower not to advise me. But you must decide whether to stay at Camp Half-Blood year-round or return to the mortal world for seventh grade and be a summer camper. Think on that. When I get back from Olympus, you must tell me your decision. I wanted to protest. I wanted to ask him for more questions. But his expression told me there could be no more discussion. He had said as much as he could. I'll be back as soon as I can, Chiron promised. Argus, will you watch over? He glanced at Annabeth. Oh, and my dear. Whenever you're ready, they're here. Who's here, I asked. Nobody answered. Chiron rolled himself out of the room. I heard the wheels on the chair clunk carefully down the front steps two at a time. Annabeth studied the ice in my drink. What's wrong? I asked her. Nothing. She set the glass on the table. I I just took your advice at something. You um, need anything? Yeah, help me up. I want to go outside. Percy, this isn't a good idea. I slid my leg out of bed. Annabeth caught me before I could crumble to the floor. A wave of nausea rolled over me. Annabeth said, I told you. I'm fine, I insisted. I didn't want to lie in bed like an invalid while Luke was out there planning to destroy the Western world. I managed to step forward, then another still leaning heavily on Annabeth. Argus followed us outside but kept his distance. By the time we reached the porch, my face was beaded with sweat. My stomach had twisted into knots, but I managed to make it all the way to the railing. It was dusk. The camp looked completely deserted. The cabins were dark and the volleyball pit silent. No canoes cut the surface of the lake. Beyond the woods in the strawberry fields, the long island sounded sound glittered the last light of the sun what are you going to do annabeth asked me i don't know i told her i got the feeling chiron wanted me to stay year round to put more individual training time but i wasn't sure that's what i wanted i admitted i feel bad about leaving her alone though with only clarice for company annabeth pursed her lips and said quietly i'm going home for the year percy i stared at her you mean to your dad's? She pointed toward the crest of Half-Blood Hill. Next to Talia's pine tree and the edge of the camp, magical boundaries of family stood silhouetted. Two little children, a woman and a tall man with blonde hair. They seemed to be waiting. The man was holding a backpack that looked like one of the Annabeth had gotten from the waterland in Denver. I wrote him a letter when we got back, Annabeth said, just like you suggested. I told him I was sorry. I'd come home for the school year if he wanted me. He wrote me immediately. We decided we'd give it another try. 
That took guts. She pursed her lips. You won't try anything stupid during the school year, will you? At least without sending me an Iris message. I managed to smile. I wasn't going to look for trouble. I usually don't have to. When I get back next summer, she said, we'll hunt down Luke. We'll ask for a quest. But if we don't get approved, we'll sneak off and do it anyway. Agreed? Sounds like a plan worthy of Athena. She held out her hand. I shook it. Take care, seaweed brain, Annabeth told me. Keep your eyes open. You too, wise girl. I watched her walk up the hill and join her family. She gave her father an awkward hug and looked back at the valley one more time. She touched Talia's pine tree, then allowed herself to be led over the crest and into the mortal world. For the first time at camp, I felt truly alone. I looked out at the Long Island Sound and remembered my father saying, The sea does not like to be restrained. I made my decision. I wondered if Poseidon would be watching. Would he approve of my choice? I'll be back next summer, I promised. I'll survive until then. After all, I am your son. I asked Argus to take me down to cabin three so I could pack my bags for home. And that's the end of the book.